Lord, as we hear this passage each and every time, we are so reminded of your sovereign grace, not only in Joseph's life, but in ours. And Lord, we come to you and we ask you to illumine our minds, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and soft hearts to receive what you would have for us as we look at this well-familiar story to some. But for those who hear it for the first time with new ears and new eyes, life-giving grace and truth. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. For Mother's Day this past year, uh, the adult-grown children bought Kim an aura frame. You know, it's a digital picture frame, and they all download the Aura app, and they can upload pictures from their phone of the grandkids and the family. And it's been really fun to see, you know, all these years of pictures and our growing tribe. It's just wonderful to see what the Lord's doing in our grandkids and our family. And it just warms the heart. It's also quite funny uh, with DT and Marissa living up in Detroit. We've all kind of become quasi-Detroit Lions fans. And so D Dan Campbell, the head coach, is this big guy, gruff guy. But he's changed the culture, and the Lions are playing good football, and we kind of like it, you know? And so all of a sudden, you'll see a picture of Idy, a picture of Cooper, a picture of Penny, and a picture of Dan Campbell. And it's really quite funny. And Kim goes, what's he doing there? I said, I have no idea, you know? Get him off of there. And then we're like, nope. But it's quite funny to see these pictures that rotate, even with the seasons. And the kids pull ones off and they put them on. Well, today in this text, we have three pictures, three snapshots of three characters that really give us life-breathing and life-giving truth. If we'll have eyes to see and ears to hear as Joseph's story finally turns. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 41, verses 1 through 36. I'm going to preach beyond verse 36 because uh, it was a quite a long passage. And uh, I will mention the texts because you understand where this is going. Because what we see in this story is one of great hope, encouragement, and direction in our Christian lives today. We begin with Joseph in prison. He has suffered an, a tremendous injustice. His career in Potiphar's house has been ruined. And notice the text says, in the Hebrew, it's a great translation from the ESV, two whole years have passed. Meaning pregnant, nine months whole. He's been forgotten, passed over. In two years of Joseph's life for insignificant, nothing's mentioned in the text about it. Nothing worth recording. No great achievements, no remarkable answers to prayer. No great movement forwarding the purposes of God. It was two years of waiting. And that's not easy for anyone, much less a young man who's in his upper 20s at this time. And this is a reminder to each and every one of us that there will be times in your life when you just don't know what God is doing, times when you feel forgotten, 
times when you do not know your future, and times when if somebody asked you point blank, what do you think God is doing, you would say, I have no idea. When we read the story of Joseph, we can see how God was at work because we know the end of the story. But for Joseph in prison, there are so many unanswered questions during these two whole years. Why in the world did my brothers beat me up and throw me in a pit and sell me off to slavery? Zach said around the fire pit last night, I wouldn't forgive my brothers. That's honest, at least. Why have I suffered this injustice? Why have I been falsely accused? Why have I been put off in the prime of my career? Why has the cupbearer forgotten me? I, I asked him to remember me. I spoke the word of God to him. The least he could do was remember me before the king. I would have asked those questions. How about you? But in one day, after two years, immediate change. And I want to look at these three pictures, these three characters, and see how the Lord speaks to us through them. The troubled king, the forgetful servant, and the wise and discerning advisor. Let's look at that. The troubled king, the forgetful servant, and the wise and discerning advisor. First, the troubled king. Why do I call him troubled? The text says, verse 8, Pharaoh's spirit was troubled. Well, as Iris read these weird dreams, remember in the ancient world, ancient people felt that the divine was speaking through these dreams, if you remembered them. We all have dreams. You, some, half of them, you don't, most of them you don't even remember. But when you remember them in the ancient world, you want an interpretation. So we saw these seven fat cows, healthy animals by the Nile, and out of the Nile came these thin, ugly cows. It sounds like a horror picture music behind them. They come out and they eat up the healthy cows. He wakes up. goes back to sleep. Seven healthy ears of grain grow up, and right next to them, health, seven healthy, unhealthy ears of grain grow up and consume the healthy. So Pharaoh woke up. What was it all about? So in verse 7, 8, Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream, so in the morning his spirit was troubled. I want to put us in Pharaoh's shoes for just a second. Think about the weight of the responsibility that was on this man's shoulders. People look to him for leadership. People, he's a public servant, and the good of thousands of people are upon his shoulders. He's only a man. He might have thought as Pharaoh he was a little god, but yeah, that's beside the point. He's been thrust into this position how do you carry that responsibility? Some of you have positions of leadership with people underneath you, and that leadership and the weight and burden is great. You feel responsibility for your children and their future. You have a position in business, education, medicine, 
where the lives of others will be significantly affected by the decisions that you make. You have to make calls, and there's a loneliness that comes along with such a position such as that. And Pharaoh is the leader of an entire nation. So he has these troubling dreams, and he feels certain that someone will be able to tell the interpretation of it. He has no idea what this means. So he calls for the text says, the magicians and the wise men, and they got nothing. Now, that was rare in the ancient day because, you know, Calvin said in his commentary, God must have shut their mouths. For, you know, experts always have something to say. They'll make it up even if it's the king, because that's their job. They're getting paid to interpret these things, and they don't have anything. That's like a preacher having no words. And this would have gotten Pharaoh really worried. And one thing we should take from this is a reminder to pray for those who carry the burden of leadership in the public life. Those who serve the community as elected officials, the leaders on whom the wisdom and good of many people depend. It's a really important area where we need a distinct Christian witness in a polarized culture such as ours. It's good to remember that God calls us to pray for our leaders and carry, who carry the burden of complex decisions. 1 Timothy 2.1 And if they like Pharaoh, don't know the living God, we should pray for them all the more. Imagine carrying those kinds of burdens without knowing God. And then we should pray that God will raise up wise and godly leaders and elect them to leadership in all levels of public life. Encourage them, help them, and pray for others to join them. That's the troubled king. Next, we have the forgetful servant. There's the cupbearer, the man who forgot for two whole years that Joseph even existed. But when the king was troubled, suddenly he remembered. Oh, yeah. The cupbearer sees the distress of the king, and nobody can interpret the dream. Then suddenly the cupbearer remembers and thought about Joseph. So he blurts out a confession. I remember my offenses today. Notice he says plural offenses because he hasn't just sinned against the king. He sinned against Joseph because he forgot. He doesn't feel good about it. Pharaoh, there was a time when I was in the same position as you. I had a dream you remember when you put me in the, in the chief baker in prison? We ticked you off. And there was a Hebrew. And he interpreted these dreams. And they both came true. I was restored to my position. And the cup baker lost his head. The chief baker lost his head. I remember my offenses to you. I'm so sorry, Pharaoh. I've been here for the last two years, and I haven't spoken about the man who's able to help you. I heard the word of God. And I've said nothing to you. I've been in this job and haven't said a single thing about him. I know he can help you because he helped me. 
Where is he? He's in the jail. Go get him. So the forgetful servant was the one who had the great honor of introducing Joseph to Pharaoh. Joseph, the wise counselor, lifted the burden that the troubled leader was carrying and brought the blessing of God not only to Pharaoh but to the nation as we will see in the next few chapters. But I think it's worth mentioning about this forgetful servant because the person who he had a relationship with for two whole years was literally out of sight and out of mind. Which is a sin that we can too commit to people in our midst that are out of sight and out of mind. Who's that person who needs a phone call? Who's that person who needs a note? Who's that person who, if you're intimidated about giving a phone call, text them. Hey, we miss you. You okay? How are you holding up? So the troubled king sends for Joseph and suddenly everything changes in Joseph's life. He's called from the palace, from, from the prison to the palace. Notice he shaves, changes his clothes, unlike some Senate members we know, and is ushered into the presence of the king. And just like Joseph, we shall be changed too. And the twinkling of an eye, we all in Christ shall be transformed in a moment. We have that to look forward to. And the troubled king tells his dream to Joseph. And Joseph gives the interpretation. They're all one dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And since this is going to happen, Joseph counsels Pharaoh to appoint a discerning and wise person to oversee the project, to make sure there'll be adequate supply for the whole country throughout the years of famine to come. Verse 33, now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Who is that wise and discerning man? Joseph. Like I said, I didn't have Iris continue to read because we would have been here past kickoff. And so, verse 39, since Joseph has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. And those are the key words of the whole text. The wise and discerning man. What does it mean to be discerning and wise? And this is the third point. What is the person who's the wise and discerning advisor? I think it means a lot of things, but looking at the context of this passage, we learn especially two things. Number one, we can restrain from indulgences during times of plenty. It's easy to become extravagant and wasteful when you're experiencing years of plenty. Joseph, through his vision, says we need to make sure that doesn't happen. Don't waste what we've been given. Store some away. When God prospers us, it's easy to begin throwing it around. And two, take reasonable measures to provide for the future. He discerns his plan will mean putting 
a fifth of the harvest in store for seven years. And so he sets out to put this plan together when those savings are stored. This is remarkable wisdom for a 30-year-old, quite frankly, isn't it? And so what made Joseph so wise and discerning? Number one, the wise and discerning advisor speaks the word of God. Speaks the word of God. It is very striking that God is not spoken of a single time in the first verse, 15 verses of chapter 41. Not one word about Elohim. Not one. The palace is wrought with anxiety. A troubled king is facing with relentless pressure of overwhelming responsibility. His magician and wise men got nothing for him. All these people, all this anxiety, yet the name of God is not spoken. Why? They don't know God. We can't expect them to speak the word of God. They don't know anything about him, but then Joseph is called, and in verse 16, he speaks on behalf of God and says, The dreams of Pharaoh are, the, it is not in me, God. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Verse 16. Verse 25, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 28. It is as to I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Name of God hasn't mentioned at all in the royal court. Nobody knows him there. Nobody there hears his word, but then Joseph arrives the very first thing out of his mouth is glorifying God. So Pharaoh says to his servants, in verse 38, it's beyond our bulletin, but if you have your Bible open, verse 38, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Now, this polytheist says, the one true God, Elohim. Since Elohim has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise, Joseph, as you are. I don't think Pharaoh knew about the indwelling Holy Spirit or a fully developed theology of the Trinity. But here's a man he recognizes when Joseph knows God. He knows what God has said, and he knows what God will do, and this man knows the mind of God. He must be filled with the Spirit of God, and because what he speaks to me is the Word of God. Joseph carried with him that aura. So Joseph points us to Jesus, who, when he comes into the world, says, He whom God has sent utters the Word of God. John 17, 8, I have given them the words that you gave me, Father. Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, no one knows the Father except the Son, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Matthew eleven twenty seven. 
therefore, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And all who rest in him, like the feeding of the 5,000 that Cody read in Matthew, will be satisfied. Jesus is the wise and wonderful counselor who comes to you in the mysteries of your life when you are pressed down by the burdens of all your responsibilities and you don't know where to turn to and Jesus says, come to me. Second thing the wise and discerning advisor does is, is they are appointed and honored. Appointed and honored. Verse 40 Pharaoh says to Joseph, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. You have the wisdom of God, so I'm handing authority over to you. See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh wants all the people of Egypt to know that Joseph has the authority to do the will of Pharaoh. So he takes his signet ring, puts it on Joseph's hand, clothes him in garments of fine linen, puts a golden chain around his neck. That's a big change from the collar of iron around his neck. You can read Psalm 105 about such things. He has Joseph ride in his chariot, and all the servants of Pharaoh go before the chariot, telling the population, bow down and bend the knee. You can't read this as a Christian without thinking about Jesus, the wise and faithful one who is raised from the dead, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, who Paul speaks in Philippians that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus comes to us with this message of grace and the world of trouble that we live in. And when you see him for who he is, the wise and discerning ultimate leader, we can honor him, appoint him as Lord and master of our house over my life, to take up the words of Pharaoh, place him over your house, over your life, bow the knee and order your life at his command. For he is appointed and honored. Secondly, the wise third, excuse me, the wise advisor supplies all the needs of the people. Here again, Joseph points us very wonderfully to Jesus. Joseph sets up these centers for gathering grain all over the country. It's quite wonderful administration. The location is important. There's easy access for all the people in the land of Egypt. So these seven years of plenty come. And when the famine arrives, the Egyptians are famished. And the people cry out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh says in verse 55 of chapter 41, Go to Joseph. What he says to do, you do. Notice the king doesn't say, go to Alexandria. Or go to this city, go to that city. What does he say? Go to Joseph. He's the one who will open the doors of the storehouses. He's the one who will feed you. Just like our wonderful advisor and counselor, Jesus Christ, who says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
John 6, 37, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Brothers and sisters, we can go to Jesus to receive what we need. He has the storehouse of forgiveness. We read every service that summary of the law. Jesus is, it's Jesus is quoting the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I see your faces. Some of you are like, yeah, I tried this week, but I didn't quite get it. That's very intentional. You know, from the prayer book. Calling us to remember that we need a Savior right off the bat. And he's providing it for us. Here's the storehouse of the forgiveness of our sins, and he has enough to cover all our sins. He has a forgiveness of strength to help you to follow him, sufficient for you to stand for him and endure in him. He has the storehouse of wisdom for all the perplexing decisions you have to make. Jesus Christ is the one who opens the storehouses of grace in your life, and they're all his, and when you come to him, he will make sure that you have all that you need. Storehouses of grace, strength, wisdom. It's there for the receiving. During the Great Depression, the famous New York City mayor was that Italian Fiorello LaGuardia. He was quite the colorful character. He would ride on the fire trucks to fires. He would go on ride-alongs with the police. He would go on raids with the police. He would uh, take whole orphanages to Yankees games. He was just a, a wild character. And so on one cold January night, he decides to go to night court in the poorest ward of the city. He dismisses the judge and says, I got this. So he sits down for all the petty cases of night court. And within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told Mayor LaGuardia that she's a widow, and her, her daughter's family was living with her, and her husband, her daughter's husband had abandoned the family. And the two grandchildren of hers were absolutely starving. But when the grocer had stood up to testify from whom the bread was stolen, he refused to drop the groceries because the mayor said, it's just a loaf of bread. It's bad for our neighborhood, Your Honor. We gotta, she has to be punished to teach these people a lesson. <sighs> LaGuardia sighed and said, well, you have to be punished. $10 or, or 10 days in jail. $10 in today's economy is approximately about 100 bucks. So he sighs, and he's about to pronounce the sentence. He reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a $10 bill. And he says, here's a $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for allowing us to live in a town where these types of people go hungry. 
And so he said, Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. <laughs> the newspaper reported the next morning that $47.50 was turned over to this bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of which had to come from the grocer. While 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and the New York City policemen gladly pitched in 50 cents for the privilege of simply doing so. And they all gave Mayor LaGuardia a standing ovation because there was a storehouse of grace which they only had to unleash upon the need. That's a storehouse of grace. And to all of us who know Jesus Christ, the wonderful counselor, the son of God, the one in whom we have access to all the supplies of God's grace, to us who know him and are blessed by him, is given the great privilege of introducing him through deeds and words this love and grace of God to whom Joseph points to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can come together and see this wonderful story. For our Lord Jesus is the wise and discerning counselor and advisor who speaks the word of God to us and reminds us of the grace you offer us that he is high and lifted up, and one day every knee shall bow and worship you as Savior and Lord. But even above all that, you're the one who supplies our needs, and you give easy access to this amazing grace for each and every one of us who will partake of it. And so, Lord, we come to you and we receive this amazing grace, and we thank you that you've provided it for us, and that, Lord, you be glorified in and through us as we seek to follow you in our day for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.